This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. I'm Brad Watson, and on today's episode, I want to share the training audio from Abe Meisenberg of Soma Tacoma on DNA groups. But before we dive into that training, I just wanted to share a little bit about the importance of groups like this. DNA groups uh, within missional communities, as we describe them on Saturate, is uh, subset groups from a missional community. So men and women getting together uh, in separate groups of twos or threes or fours to really dive into what the the scriptures themselves to learn uh, or discover the truths of God, uh, to care for one another or nurture one another, asking them questions. If we know this to be true, then why don't we believe what's going on in our heart, what healing or repentance needs to take place? And then these are also groups that, that regularly, every time they get together, ask, well, then how would we obey? How will we act if we believe, if we experience repentance? How will we live out the gospel? And so that's basically what a DNA group is. People call them fight clubs or some still call them accountability groups. There's, there's lots of different names, but that's, that's the root of what we're talking about. And DNA groups are so important in the life of a missional community. Uh, why? One, it helps leaders equip the people within their community to follow Jesus in a life-on-life way. So meeting weekly in this sort of subset group, uh, you're able to process and teach people how to read the scriptures, how to do repentance, how to how to pursue healing from from the spirit over wounds in your past. It's how you teach people to share their story. It's how you even also teach people how to take the truths of the gospel and live out the implications of the gospel, how to marry theology and life, how to live a life that displays as a billboard to the world the richness of the gospel. So that's that's one main reason DNA groups are so important, and it's, and it's incredibly efficient too. I know a lot of groups try not to do that, or maybe you have uh, some sort of accountability group that you've been in for a really long time with friends that, that are not even part of your church, but to root it in the same group is just incredibly worthwhile because the same people you're living on mission with, the same people you're meeting with regularly to share a meal, to study the scriptures, or the same people you're meeting with to dive even deeper in these DNA groups. And so the, the implications of the mission and what you're processing all sort of weave in together. And then the third reason that DNA groups are so important is it's a phenomenal way to equip future leaders. It's a great way to pour into them the the keys, uh, the key principles, the key uh, even doctrines of a life in a gospel-centered community on mission. Uh, and, and recently, and just wanted to, to share this as well, recently Saturate released a new book, a new collection of resources on DNA groups that really helps you establish these groups, but also uh, is an amazing tool to use to equip people not just in this DNA group thing, which it does, but also equips people and lays the foundation for life in missional community. And so that book is called Growing in Christ Together. You can look for it on Amazon or look at it at the saturatetheworld.com website. 
But what this book is, it's 16 weeks uh, where each week there's scriptures to read, there's questions to process. You walk through that DNA acronym as Abe will describe in the training that's about to take place. So so in the group, you'll learn how to do that using this curriculum. It also has follow-up ways to, to take next steps, to, to truly live life on life. And one thing that we've really seen, if you're in a more of a traditional uh, church or an attractional church model and you're wanting to transition kind of implementing these groups are often one of the best first steps. Can you gather some people into these DNA groups where they can really begin to see the gospel and see this truth of the scriptures, apply them to their own hearts, and then walk in obedience? That sort of lays an incredible foundation for for what you might hope to see in the future with missional communities. And so that that's my little pitch about why this audio, Abe, uh, was a and is a shepherding pastor uh, in Soma Tacoma. He's a phenomenally gifted teacher and equipper as well, really oversaw a lot of these structures within uh, Soma Tacoma in Washington. And so Abe in this, in this short training is going to highlight and, and sort of show us not just what DNA groups are, but how to lead them. So hope you enjoy. The Holy Spirit has led Soma Tacoma over the years to the conviction that the primary organizing structure for the church is to be missional communities. Within missional communities, we have another structure called DNA groups. Those DNA groups are same gender triads that meet weekly for about 90 minutes to go through a three-step process that we are going to talk about. And that three-step process is discover, nurture, and act. Through that three-step process, we are endeavoring to make disciples together that address a holistic need for discipleship, head, heart, and hands. We developed this process because after having DNA groups as a part of our church family for a number of years, we realized that the weekly meetings for a lot of our missional communities, or excuse me, for our DNA groups, were little more than just conversations about, hey, how was your week? Oh, it was pretty good. How was your week? Oh, did you see the game last night? And quickly 90 minutes would, would go by, and nobody's lives were really being significantly transformed through these DNA groups. It was better than just being alone, better than being isolated. It was good for building some friendships, some connections, some relationship, and meaningful conversations and sharing of hurts and pains and struggles would happen. But we realized that our groups needed uh, some more structure and some more guidance and some more equipping in terms of how to actually relate to one another week to week. So we've developed this three-step process, discover, nurture, and act. And I'll dive right in with discover where the purpose is uh, for us as a group to be led by the Holy Spirit and as a group to study the Bible and ask the four questions. I'll explain the four questions in just a minute. But the goal for the discover step in the DNA process is to teach the head. We talked about head, heart, hands, that approach to discipleship. The goal is to teach the head so that each person in the DNA group either learns or is reminded of the truth about who God is, what he's done, who we are, and how we live every time the DNA group meets. 
That's a high bar. But think about that as a goal for a DNA group and how different that would be from sitting around together for 90 minutes and sort of chit-chatting about life and about what's going on at work and what's going on with family and what's going on with kids. Think about how significant that would be if every week all of us had 90 minutes to be reminded or to learn some truth about who God is, what he's done, who we are, and how we should live. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So discover is about uncovering the vital truth about who God is, what he's done, who we are, and how we should live. There's a number of statements in John's gospel that highlight the importance of both the word of God and the spirit of God in helping a disciple discover truth. This is such a key aspect of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, the importance of discovering the truth of God's word. And as a church family, as Soma Tacoma, this for us is becoming one of the main vehicles where we're hoping to see that discover process actually get played out is in our DNA groups. So Jesus in John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. He's praying to the father, sanctify them by the truth, praying for his followers. Your word is truth. And then John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. There's that idea of the spirit teaching us and the spirit reminding us all that Jesus has said. And then later in John 16, 13 and 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus' death on the cross makes it possible for God's spirit to dwell in us. The spirit is our teacher, the one who makes Jesus even more real to us day by day. Jesus said of the spirit, he will glorify me. The spirit's job is to glorify Jesus, to make him look more amazing to our hearts. So the motivation for us as a DNA group to discover the truth from God's word through God's spirit comes from the great gift that Jesus has given us. The motivation is I have the spirit of God and he's wanting to lead me towards greater love for Jesus. I wanna dig in. Discover is not about information. Discover is about relationship and transformation. So in light of Jesus' prayer in John 17, 17, your word is truth, sanctify them by the truth. Studying the Bible should be the primary way that DNA groups practice this step of discover together. So what I'd like to suggest is that a DNA group decide what passage of scripture or what book of the Bible they're gonna study together. So you're gonna go through Ephesians. And then each person in the DNA group is gonna read through Ephesians during the week 
and you should use the four questions as a Bible study tool. I think the four questions are the best Bible study tool available, the best hermeneutical tool available. The four questions, who is God? What has he done specifically through Jesus? Who are we and how do we live? When we read the Bible, most of us, what is the first question we ask of the Bible? What does it mean for me? We basically skip right to the fourth question. How should I live? Which is why we don't find ourselves spending a lot of time in the first chunk of Numbers or the first part of First Chronicles and the minor prophets are not so exciting because we read them and we think, well, how am I supposed to live in light of this? We're starting with the wrong question. It's a man-centered approach to the Bible. We need to start with God. I was graced with a teacher in Bible college who said, this is God's word. It's God's book. He's the author. He's the main character. When you read the Bible, your first question should be, what does it tell me about God? Now, unfortunately, he taught us the second question should be, therefore, how should I live? Which unfortunately puts you under the weight of Leviticus, which is be holy for I am holy. But see, we need the New Testament good news, which is I'm holy. I made you holy, therefore be holy. That's the good news that we need. So we got to go through all four of those questions. What is, who's God? What has he done? Who are we? And how do we live? So I would recommend that each person in the DNA group have a journal and you read through, you read through Ephesians every week and your homework assignment for your DNA group is to focus on chapter one. You can read the whole thing, but focus on chapter one and use the four questions and write down some answers to those four questions in your journal and then come ready to discuss it at your DNA group. Come ready with uh, some answers to maybe some questions like this. What did you discover this week? What did you learn? What were you reminded of? Where did the Spirit lead you to repentance and faith? How have you struggled with sin or unbelief in your life this week? And you can already feel how the discover step is going to lead right into that nurture step where we're going to talk about repentance and faith and sin and unbelief. But we're going to start with discover and we're going to talk about the Word of God. And see, here's the, here's the helpful thing. Even if no one does their homework, you can still come and say, guess what? We're going to open Ephesians 1. We're going to read it together twice. And we're going to ask the four questions. And for 30 minutes, we're going to have a conversation about the word of God. And we're going to talk about this particular passage of scripture. What I get excited about when I think about groups of three men, groups of three women, sitting around, Bibles open, reading the scriptures together, asking the four questions, interacting. What I get really excited about as a leader for our church family is that means that biblical literacy is gonna increase in our church family. And that's only exciting to me because as biblical literacy increases, love for Jesus should increase. It's not about information, it's about relationship and transformation. But in our church family, where we have really loved the story of God and been devoted to the story of God, I actually feel like we have sort of given ourselves to the story almost at the exclusion of the particular like chapters and verses and books of the Bible itself, where we're so concerned with the holistic that we've lost the specific 
and biblical literacy in our church family, I think is pretty low. We talk a ton about the story, which is awesome. And I would even say essential. And I would go further and say, it's the best first step for people. But if you stay there, you're not gonna really mature and grow in Christ. I think we need to move on to learn all the unique specific stories that make up the big story of God. So that's the discover step of the DNA process. The second step is nurture, where led by the Holy Spirit, the group will repent and believe in the gospel. The group will repent and believe in the gospel. The goal is to shepherd the heart. Again, discipleship, head, heart, hands, discovers about the head, nurture, the goal is to shepherd the heart so that each person is brought to repentance and renewed faith every time a DNA group meets. Now again, think about how radical and life-changing and different that would be if groups of people were meeting week to week and every week somebody in the group is brought to repentance because the word of God reveals truth to them and the spirit of God brings conviction and their brothers or sisters practice some good gospel shepherding and help lead them to repentance and renewed faith in Jesus. Imagine how that would impact our communities and our church and our cities. The nurture primarily involves the heart and the word heart is used over 850 times in the Bible. It's used to describe the very center of our being. It includes our mind, will, and emotions. The Bible says the heart thinks, it reasons, it can be deceived, it makes decisions. The Bible is the very center of our being. We have this wrong understanding of the nature of faith. We think that we can believe with our head and believe with our heart. Like I believe it in my head, but I don't believe it in my heart. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says your head and your heart are not separate things, but your heart actually includes your head. And Romans 10.10 says that it is with the heart that a person believes. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved for it is with the heart that man believes and is saved. So it is with the heart that we believe. So our hearts place faith in things all the time, created things. Romans 1 says we've exchanged the glory of God for the glory of creature, glory of creation. And so this, the, the foot of faith, the seed of faith in our hearts gets placed sometimes on Jesus and the fruit of the spirit is produced. And other times the seed of faith in our hearts gets placed on money or it gets placed on a spouse, or it gets placed on a job, or it gets placed on possessions, or it gets placed on people's impressions of us. And we believe, we land on faith that that thing's gonna save us and it produces the deeds of the flesh in our life. And in that moment, when that's happening, for a lot of us, we're actually going against what we know. Let me give you an example. If I were to ask all of you about 
the greatness of God, the control that God has over the universe, the sovereignty of God, if I were to give you sort of a theological quiz, you'd probably all pass it with flying colors. You could probably chapter and verse me on how God is in control, right? And yet you've probably worried in the last 24 hours. So when that happens, you know something in your head, but you don't believe it in your heart. And the nurture step of the DNA process is about us trying to help one another see those those places of unbelief, those places of, frankly, false worship, where we exchange the glory of the creator for the far lesser glory of a created thing. And we say, that thing will save me. And it's not conscious often, it's very unconscious and we need the help of our brothers and sisters to ask us some good questions and to help dig things out so we can be brought to repentance and faith. By the way, a quick definition of repentance, repent means to change your mind about who or what is God. Greek word for repent or repentance is metanoia, it means to change your mind. And I think if you look at the use of the word in the whole Bible, you'd find that it means to change your mind about what you're worshiping. It change your mind about who or what is God. So if in a DNA group, we're able to listen for the heart, ask good questions, speak the truth in love and help bring a person to repentance, it means they're going from, from worshiping this created thing to say, no, I changed my mind. God is God. I'm going to worship God and renew our faith in the good news of the gospel. So more specifically, the nurture step of the DNA process involves three steps of its own. And I just mentioned them. Listen for the heart, ask good questions, speak the truth in love. By God's grace and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, Soma Tacoma over the last few years has been able to develop a gospel shepherding structure and an accompanying gospel shepherding process. We've got tools and resources that help equip people to care for one another in community. There's some training I've done in this series that unpacks those three steps in the gospel shepherding process more specifically. Listen for the heart, ask good questions, speak the truth in love. So I just wanna give a quick reminder or quick summary of what those steps in the process involve. But the point of gospel shepherding for us is that we're gonna use the same approach, whether it's in a DNA group or whether an elder is having a meeting with six people in the room trying to mediate a conflict. We're gonna listen for the heart, ask good questions and speak the truth in love. So listen for the heart. Jesus says, in Luke 6, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in your DNA groups, you're gonna have an opportunity to hear the story of a person's life during the formative stage of a DNA group. And then week to week, you will hear stories of a person's day, stories of a person's life. You may delve back into the story of their, their life and unpack some of those things. Hear the story of their week. And as a person is sharing, because of what Jesus says in Luke 6, we know that as they're talking, something about their heart is getting revealed. So as someone who cares for others and wants to love others and serve others, we need to listen with gospel ears 
Pray that the Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear what people are saying and not listen just to the surface stuff and pay attention to the circumstances, but know that the words that they're saying are actually revealing their heart and something of what is going on under the surface. Ask good questions. I often think about God's approach to Adam and Eve, after they chose to eat from the fruit of the tree, they hid, they covered themselves and God comes to them and he says, where are you? Did you eat from the tree I asked you not to eat from? Who told you you were naked? God comes with questions. We should come with questions. We're tempted to come with pronouncements. We're tempted to come with pragmatic advice. We're tempted to focus on a person's problems instead of focusing on a person and their heart. And God's model throughout the whole Bible including and especially Jesus in the way he interacted with his disciples and with the Pharisees. Lots of questions. Questions give the Holy Spirit space and time to bring conviction because it's his job to convict, not our job to convince. We've all experienced well-intentioned advice givers offering simplistic answers and quick fixes. And those words more often than not, we'll just bounce right off of our hearts. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you some good questions to ask people. As a rule of thumb, we like to think about asking 10 questions for every pronouncement. Then finally, speak the truth in love. If we're going to speak the truth in love in our DNA groups, it should be around our identity and around the work of God rather than reminding a person who is filled with worry and, 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 and anxiety that Jesus says three times in Matthew 6, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. I think it'd be far more helpful to remind them that in Matthew 6, Jesus says that you have a father who loves you deeply and is able to meet your needs. So you're reminding them of who God is, what he's done and who they are, rather than reminding them of what they should or should not do. Another caution with speaking the truth in love. I have fallen into the trap many times of thinking that I know what's going on in a person's heart. Jesus does say out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, but I cannot be certain that I know another person's heart just because I've listened to the words that have come out of their mouth. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 warns, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes, another translation says motives, of the heart. We often say, oh, only God knows their heart. We say that like a cliche, but guess what? It's actually true. When it comes to the motives of people's hearts, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says only Jesus knows that. He's gonna reveal it in the future. And right now it's hidden in darkness. So when I listen for the heart and I hear key words, key phrases, key answers to some key questions, I can't then come back around and say, hey, you know what? I listened to you talk for 10 minutes. I know what your problem is. Your problem's pride. We can't do that. We don't know if that's their heart. We can ask some questions and try to draw that out. But speaking the truth in love does not mean accusing somebody that their heart is in a certain spot we should actually pray and ask the Spirit to give us grace, kindness, and love for people before we come and speak to them so we know that we're not coming with judgmental self-righteousness in our hearts. Finally, 
one way we often speak the truth in love in our DNA groups is by calling people to repentance. You have to sense the leading of the Spirit in these moments, but if you sense that a person is actually seeing their sin for what it is, and a person has been brought to the precipice of repentance, I've seen many times where all a person needs is an invitation. I have been in that place myself multiple times where I'm talking with somebody about my heart. They're asking questions about sin in my life. I'm confessing sin. And yet I need their subtle invitation to repent and actually go to the father. And sometimes that might sound like, hey, would you like to talk to the father about that right now? It's as simple as that. Other times it might be, hey, is the spirit bringing some conviction in your heart right now? It seems like maybe he is. Would you like to to walk through a process of repentance and renewed faith in the good news? Just a simple question like that is a way to kind of speak the truth in love. You could even call a person and say, call a person to repentance and say, I want to invite you to repent. I want to call you to repent because it seems like the Spirit of God is convicting you right now. So the third and final step in the DNA process is act. Led by the Holy Spirit, the group will listen and obey. The group will listen and obey as the Spirit calls us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The goal here is to empower the hands. So discover, teach the head, nurture, shepherd the heart, act, empower the hands. The goal is to empower the hands so that in light of their repentance, each person knows what to do and who to tell every time the group meets. I'm going to write that down. What to do and who to tell every time the group meets. Again, think of how significant that would be if each time a group met, somebody is leaving that group meeting knowing that they heard from God through his word, they were reminded of some truth, the spirit pointed out sin in their life, they were brought to repentance and faith, and as a result, they're actually called to action. Imagine that happening every week. That'd be amazing. That would change the church. Act primarily involves discipling the hands. Once we've discovered the truth about who God is, what he's done, and once we've repented of our sin and unbelief, we need to ask the spirit to guide us in changing the way we live. Our repentance must have some practical impact on our lives. Remember the words of John the Baptist when he was baptizing people, preparing them for the arrival of the Messiah, he exhorted them to, quote, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which means demonstrate through your life that your your repentance is legitimate. If your repentance is legitimate, there should be some practical outworking of it. This was also a part of Paul's message as well. As he was telling his story, the story of his conversion to King Agrippa in Acts 26, Paul said, I declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent 
and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That was a part of Paul's gospel. Repent, believe the good news, and bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Unfortunately, in the church, legalism has left such a bad taste in our mouths that sometimes I sense we are afraid to actually talk about good works. We're afraid to actually call people to holiness. We think that it's somehow contrary to the gospel to say, you know what? You actually should do this. Your life should look this way. And yet we know that the New Testament calling us to be transformed is not contrary to the gospel. It's actually in line with the gospel. The book of Titus is a clear example. The book of Titus has several very clear explanations of gospel truth. The gospel of grace, and at the same time, the theme of good works runs throughout the whole book. Here's one example, Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. There's the good news of grace that we love to hear. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, what teaches us? The gospel of grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace teaches us to say no and to be holy. That's what the Bible says. If the Spirit leads someone to repentance, either outside of the group or inside the group, my recommendation is that you spend five to 10 minutes praying and listening together. Ask the Spirit to speak. The Spirit of God is alive. Romans 8 says he bears witness with our spirits. He speaks to our spirits. He speaks through his word. Be quiet and listen as a group and ask the Spirit, how do you want my brother to walk out his repentance? Ask two specific questions. What do you want me to do? Ask, what do you want me to do? Now, likely the Bible will have already answered that question for them but the spirit could even put a finer point on it and be more specific. What do you want me to do? It could be any number of things. The second question is, who do you want me to tell? Acts 1.8 says that Jesus gave his followers his spirit so they could be witnesses. As we are experiencing repentance and faith, we should be looking for opportunities to declare the gospel. See, the gospel is not just how God saved you last week, last year, last month, 20 years ago when you first encountered Christ. The gospel is about how Jesus continues to save you and transform you by grace through faith. That's gospel. That's part of the gospel. And we're often looking for opportunities and easy ways to share the gospel with our not yet believing friends. Well, guess what? When your not yet believing friend says to you, hey, how are you? You have a decision to make. You can take the easy way out and stay on the surface and talk about what's going on, you know, just in general, or you could say, ding, 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 gospel opportunity. Well, actually, you know what? I've been kind of struggling lately and I've been confronted yet again with how broken I am and how much I'm in need. And I found God again to be sufficient. 
And I found Jesus again to be sufficient as my savior. Just like he was when I was a little kid, just like he was 10 years ago, he's been that for me yet again this week. And there's there's, there's no way to argue with that. It's a very simple, clear way to present the good news of the gospel. So that's the three-step process for DNA. Discover, nurture, act. You spend 30 to 40 minutes on the first two, 20 to 30 minutes on the last one. And I wanna leave you with a couple questions to talk about and think about and pray through as a community. Think about how these DNA groups and specifically the three-step process can really enhance your mission of making disciples. So how might the discover step help a community on mission be more effective at making disciples? How might the discover step help a community on mission be more effective at making disciples? And then secondly, how might the nurture step help a community on mission be more effective at making disciples? You've probably guessed the third question. How might the act step help a community on mission be more effective at making disciples? I wanna pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you power for walking this out. We desperately need his help as we endeavor to care for one another, to learn, to discover, to nurture, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So Holy Spirit, would you help my brothers and sisters? Jesus, we thank you for sending your spirit. Thank you that he does empower us to guide us into all truth, to lead us to repentance and faith, to help us bear fruit and keep him with repentance. So empower my brothers and sisters now, and I do pray that communities on mission would become more effective at making disciples because of walking through this process in their DNA groups. For the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And that concludes the the teaching from Abe on DNA groups. Uh, If you want to learn more, you can see more videos and get more audio or even written materials on DNA groups, as well as the resource that I mentioned earlier, Growing in Christ Together. Uh, You can get all of those. Just go to thesaturatetheworld.com, click on the little magnifying glass. That's to help you search. Type in DNA, and you'll see a list of resources that are really great. Videos on, on leading men's DNA groups, women's DNA groups. Jeff has a great teaching on on how and sort of the details and logistics of a DNA group, as well as several other videos from Abe on the why and the how as well. And so I hope that you are able to engage in those. I hope that that this podcast today was encouraging and also challenging and gives you even a whole new tool to consider as you lead your church, lead your community, or even lead your own family towards a life that's saturated with the gospel. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be talking with you again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.